Hey guys, welcome back to the Prehistoric Life Podcast. I'm your host, Eric Crawford, and today we are with the Fossil Shack. So, would you like to introduce yourself? You bet. Uh, my name is Seth Sorensen. I'm the uh, owner and, and chief paleontologist of the Fossil Shack. So, uh, I've been doing that for, well, since the beginning, and uh, I'm glad to be here. Thank you. So, there's their Instagram. Please go check it out. They post a lot of amazing content. Maybe. Thank you. So I guess, I mean, how's your day going? So It's good. It's uh, yeah, Every day you wake up is a good day, right? <laughs> that's, that's a good philosophy, man. Don't put too much stress on yourself. If you wake up, it's going to be a good day. Yep. So I guess the most generic question that I just start off pretty much every interview with is, What's your favorite dinosaur? Well, my favorite dinosaur is Spinosaurus because they're just such a wild looking animal. I mean, they look like nothing else that's ever roamed the planet. So they're, you know, pretty wild and crazy. Uh, I do have a, a, a prehistoric critter, though, that even even tops that as far as um, my list that a lot of people think it's a dinosaur, but is not, and that would be the mosasaur. Um, and you know, there were there were hundreds, if not thousands, of varieties of mosasaur. But to me, they are kind of the uh, pinnacle of of evolution. I think life went downhill after they disappeared. So <laughs> I feel like a lot of uh, if I just say generic stuff, but like a lot of life has definitely come from these ancient creatures that we don't even really know. Yeah. So, I mean, you want to talk about what you do? I mean, you bet. So, um, we do a little bit of everything. So, um, fossil shack, it's a company that has a few different branches and, and actually, um, I own a couple of different companies tied in with that. Um, one of them's a company called American fossil, where we actually have, uh, fossil quarries that we manage and run and, and extract fossils. Um, and then we do a lot, we do something called paleo tourism on that side where people can come in and dig and, and keep their own fossils. Then, um, fossil shack itself, uh, we do a lot of fossil sales, but uh, one of the things that that makes us maybe even a little bit more unique is we do a lot of fossil preparation. So uh, we take the fossils and remove them from the rock. We put them back together. We recreate the missing pieces and and create a full specimen. And uh, I do a lot of that work myself. I, uh, I have a little bit of help, but um, that's probably the thing I enjoy most is is working on the specimens. So uh, you know, if we pull something out of the ground, it may come out in several hundred pieces. Fossils typically don't come out beautiful like the ones you see in museums. Uh, I know that's a common misconception. People think, oh, look, you find a dinosaur, you brush it off with the, you know, the paintbrush and you you put it out and it's ready to display. But, you know, a lot of them come in 500 chunks of rock that's super hard and super difficult. So that, you know, you go through the process of removing the rock and seeing exactly what you've got and then, figuring out what's missing and what those missing bits would have looked like and how it all fits back together and, and how those pieces tell a story. And then, then you put it all back together and you've got something amazing. So uh, 
that's that's kind of what I do. That's that's the thing that I love the most about the whole process is working on those specimens. Mm. As of right now, I mean, we can't really observe them in their natural habitat. So all we got is to basically put them together like a giant puzzle and figure out how they look based on that. Yeah, so exactly. You said you do fossil tourism. Where are you like stationed out of? Uh, so fossil shack itself, we're, we're stationed in uh, Utah, but our quarries are in Wyoming. Uh, and, and so we do the fossil tourism up in Wyoming. We don't stay there for the winter because if you've ever been to Wyoming in the winter, it is a brutal place. And, and my hat is off to the people that tough it out and live there, but I'm not that tough. <laughs> I've seen some stuff about Wyoming in the winter. It's yeah. nothing but snow. It's snow and, and the wind never stops. If you've been to Wyoming, the one thing you can count on is the wind to blow all the time. And, and when you get the snow and the bitter cold temperatures and the wind, it just makes for a pretty miserable situation. So, I mean, I'm, I'm sure y'all mostly do summer work there then. Mm -hmm. so, I mean, have, do you ever do that? Because you said you're mostly in the actual reconstruction part of it but mm -hmm. do you ever go out um, on the actual dig part i do i i actually in the summer spend a lot of my weekends up there uh and anytime we come across something you know really unique or really large uh, i go up and and excavate it myself and you know that's one of the things that um how should i say it i don't trust anybody else to do <laughs> I mean, we've got some great staff and, and great people, but um, when I can go up and, and excavate it myself, I know exactly what I've got. I know where the pieces are. I know what everything looks like. I can organize it and get it, um, you know, situated to bring back. And then it makes the prep work so much easier than if I were to have someone else um, pull it. So I do spend weekends up there. You know, I get to visit with the guests and, um, you know, hang out and, and help out as, as much as possible. And, bring donuts. That's what the employees like. I'm a donut guy. So when I show up, I bring donuts and they think that's great. But uh, yeah, so weekends you can find me up there and then, uh, you know, the rest of the year back here in, in Utah where it's a little bit warmer. A little bit. Usually stays pretty warm in Utah. Yeah, it's it's not too bad. I mean, I went there to uh, Dinosaur National Park. I mean, mm -hmm. do you ever visit there often? I mean, uh, we've gone out occasionally. That's that's one of the most incredible sites, I think, on the, the planet, you know, with uh, just the way that they chose to leave the bones in their their natural situ in the, you know, in the rock there. And, and you can see exactly how they were and how they preserved. And, uh, you know, I think it's it's pretty incredible because really you don't get to see that anywhere else in the world. There are very few places where they actually show where it was found, kind of yeah. how it was dug up, how it's portrayed. I mean, I went there in, I think, summer in July. Oh, God. Don't even remember the year. Uh, I feel his uh, last, like, four or five years have just been womp. One year. <laughs> I mean, but when I went, I got <laughs> this uh, juvenile Allosaurus hand. Allosaurus uh, hand. I like that. So, because they mainly find a bunch of Jurassic fossils there. Right. So, In fact, uh, Allosaurus, it's the state fossil of the state of Utah. 
I 100% believe that. I'm not even going to. It's my personal favorite dinosaur. I mean, and it's primarily from when I was younger. I saw the Ballad of Big Al. Yeah. Yeah. And that was one of my first interactions with dinosaurs. And I was just like, I'm sticking with that one. I do love Allosaurus. If you look right here, it's kind of hard to point over my shoulder. Uh, I actually have an Allosaurus foot right there. Yeah, I think I saw you post something about that, didn't you? Yep. It uh, it was in a bunch of uh, pieces and, you know, needed to be cleaned up and restored. And I put it back together and I liked it so much that decided to stay with me. So, so I mean, uh, what... What uh, what would you call it? The formation. What formation are you mainly in in Wyoming? Is there actual name for it? It is. Yeah. So we we deal mostly with uh, the Green River Formation. So it's an Eocene formation, kind of the the dawn of mammals. So we're uh, dealing with mammals as they started to emerge after the dinosaurs went extinct. So uh, you know you find horses and rhinos that are the size of uh, you know small dogs. You know just just little guys that. Uh, look more like uh, they could be a puppy. And uh, we find a lot of uh, the earliest um, mammals as they started to diversify. So uh, the oldest bats actually come from that formation. And uh, they have found bats uh, that don't have echolocation. Uh, They're old enough that these bats actually hunted by sight still. Um, And so we get to see a snapshot of what a lot of these animals looked like before uh, the animals we would recognize currently. Because, I mean, mammals weren't as prevalent during the dinosaur times, primarily because the dinosaurs were the one ones dominating. But right, they were basically just cut out of the picture. I mean, they just started to go evolve crazy, crazily. I mean, yep. you can see it with dinosaurs, too. You start off in the um, Triassic, and they're pretty basic and simple-looking creatures. And then... As you go up into Jurassic, you start getting all the sauropods and theropods. Then into the Cretaceous, you start getting ceratopsians and ankylosaurus. And yeah, you get all the wild crazy. I mean, most people will say, like, dinosaurs, they think the Cretaceous period. That's where the, di- the dinosaurs are majorly at. I mean, yeah. I... I and, and uh, you know, I think a lot of people, they, they too, I hear a lot, you know, well, the dinosaurs weren't that successful. They went extinct. And it's like, well, actually, they were probably the most successful life form we, we may have ever had on the planet. You, you they, they were, I mean, if you think about it, they were around like longer than humans. And technically, some of them, some are still around. Right. Yeah. So, and and when you think about you know, some of the more famous dinosaurs, if you're talking about Allosaurus and Tyrannosaurus Rex, T-Rex is closer in time to us than it was to Allosaurus. So yeah. Allosaurus was already a fossil in the ground long before T-Rex ever existed. And and a lot of people, I don't think, uh, wrap their minds around that idea either. Just the uh, actual, because it's kind of hard to like put in perspective a million years. Right. Because right. you don't really have anything to compare that to yeah. like which is just crazy to fathom that some of these species have evolved and have been around for over basically 200 million years i mean exactly and 
And, you know, we think of, of mass extinctions, even of the dinosaurs, we think, oh, they, they went extinct in a day. Well, no, it happened over a, a lengthy period of time. And what people don't realize is we're actually in the middle of another mass extinction right now. It's just it's been happening for 10,000 years or so where most of the Earth's megafauna has disappeared again. Yeah. You know, all these large animals, they're gone. They've just vanished and they continue to vanish. But because our, our lifespans are so short and, and so finite, it's hard to grasp that perspective and see that it's currently happening again. <laughs> I mean, it's the reason why we don't have mammoths wandering in America or Smilodon anymore. I mean, absolutely. They're extinct. And it, it's a natural part of evolution, basically. I mean, yeah. Yeah, in fact, you know, you look at um, the mule deer, it's the most recent uh, evolution of, of artiodactyls of the, uh, the, the deer family. And it's only been around for several thousand years. I mean, it's, it's a relative newcomer, and yet we think they've always been here. I mean, like even, like I said, Smilodon, I mean, they adapted to hunt bigger predator like megafauna with their giant fangs to basically pierce the jugular to pierce yeah. giant like bouldering necks. But now that species have evolved to be smaller and quicker, more agile, mm -hmm. they went extinct because they couldn't hunt. Yeah. I mean, we, we have a few leftovers like the, you know, the pronghorn antelope that, you know, it's the fastest, land animal in North America. Well, it got that way because in North America, we used to have a cheetah and the I mean, cheetah yeah. would hunt the antelope. <laughs> and there's, I mean, there's even remains of like cheetah. You have like leopards and panthers and right. mountain lions and things like that. I mean, because yeah, we, I we feel had like the largest member of the cat family ever lived here in North America. We had our own lion and uh, most people have never even heard of it. They don't know that we had an American lion and that it was bigger than the current African lions. And, you know, all these things have just gone extinct. And here we are. Because, I mean, I think people think like, oh, well, it went extinct. Therefore, it's just gone forever. But, I mean, you look at Allosaurus and you look at T-Rex. In the actual body structure... It's not really that different. Right. I mean Yeah, when you're when you're talking convergent evolution, you have all these different animals that evolve to look very similar and do the same things. In fact, they've found um some parrots in South America that did go extinct. They were completely gone. And a few different lineages of of parrots have now evolved to become that parrot again. I mean, the DNA is still slightly different, but the animal looks identical again. And, you know, it's fascinating how that works. I mean, there are very few mass extinctions where it just like wiped out an entire, basically bloodline. Right. Like the most famous one is the KT extinction. Asteroid hit earth, rubble everywhere, smoke, fire, brimstone in the skies, all that. It's why we don't see ceratopsians. It's why we don't see theropods, like the big, huge ones. It's because yep. they were too big to hide and survive. So they had, so the ones that did survive, whenever they did somehow change, they changed to be 
smaller, more adaptive. Yeah. And in some species, even to fly. I mean, yeah. Yep. I mean, people, you look back at it, I mean, Microraptor or Archaeopteryx, too. I mean, yeah. they were basically flying around. They were. Um, and, it, you know, it's fascinating because after every mass extinction, it, it seems that we get a new class of flying animals. So these animals, they continue to evolve to fly. We have um, insects that evolved to, to fly clear back in the Carboniferous, you know, way before the dinosaurs and stuff, lots of different flying insects. Well, then we ended up with dinosaurs that flew and, and mammals that fly. And, you know, they just, for whatever reason, that seems to be something that nature has selected as an advantage to certain um, classes of animals. I mean, look at an eagle. I mean, there's not much that actually hunts an eagle. Right. And the only things that really do are when it's on the ground. Yeah. And even then, it's still not easy prey. Yep. I mean, eagles will, like, attack people, like small children. I mean, they do that a lot. People don't know that. Yeah, I uh, I lived for a few years in the Philippines, and the the largest eagle on the on the planet is over there, the Philippine eagle. And there were accounts of of uh, those eagles carrying off children. They they typically hunt you know monkeys and and other primates, and they would often mistake uh, children for for primate. I mean, yeah, I mean we are primates, so yeah. And <laughs> one of my favorite stories. It's uh, uh I think it's Scotland. There was a person who had an eagle. Uh, he was training it, and it picked up a child in the um, audience. And everybody's like, "Oh my gosh!" And they're like, "It's a close encounter." They labeled it a close encounter with the with like an eagle. Like I don't think it was a close encounter. But <laughs> I mean, you even like look back at like human history. You can see that sense of like what was going on. I mean. Yeah. I mean, like, how do we know that there wasn't you, you hear like one of one of my like personal favorite Greek stories is the like ballad of Heracles, Hercules. Mm-hmm. He he killed the uh and I'm blanking on the name now, the big lion. Yeah. Yep. I mean, how do we know there wasn't a massive species of lion and he just ran in there was an actual dude who ran into one? Absolutely. I mean Absolutely. People don't know, but most fables and stories are sh- shrouded with a hint of truth. Yeah, the 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 fables of cyclopses, you know, they they come from skulls that that people would observe, but those skulls happen to be things like mammoths and mastodons, yeah. which had their their nasal yeah. cavity right here in the center of their head, but it looked like the a single trunk. guy. Yeah. They look like they look at a human head and they're like, oh well, it has two eyes and this one has one big hole maybe they only had one eye and it was massive yeah i mean even just like the idea of a dragon i mean you think about it and you're like oh that's such a bizarre idea but it really isn't we basically had them i mean most pterosaurs are basically just dragons i mean and i mean if I didn't know what a T-Rex was and I found a T-Rex skull, I'm going to be like, what is this thing? I hope it's not still around. Yeah, <laughs> yeah exactly. 
and think, oh, this was probably a dragon. They could still be yeah. wandering around. And even one of the like weirdest things that I see like commonly, everybody always talks about flood stories in mythology because every mythology has their own flood story. Right. One thing that's not brought up enough is snakes in mythology. They're always portrayed as some kind of evil, cunning, deceptive creature hunting man. And I feel it's because there was a shroud of truth with that. I mean, the first humans were probably the natural predator of that was probably larger snakes. Right. So over time, people get these stories passed down of their ancestors hunting these massive snakes. Cause I mean, at one point you had Titanobo and things like that where they're massive. They can be a human whole. Yeah. And, and even, um, you know, we know that there was even a, a Komodo dragon-like animal called Megalania that lived in, in Australia that was a monstrous monitor lizard that, that we know was eating the Aborigines. I mean, yeah, I mean, one of the, like, you have these giant emus, mm-hmm. what are they called, moa? Moa birds, yeah. The moa. We, we have, like, you see that and you're like, whoa, that thing's so huge. And then the like native people they're they're just like, yeah, there's something that hunts that. We're afraid of that. We're going to work with that thing and hope it doesn't kill us. Yeah, exactly. And and, uh another interview guy that I was talking to, he he said that like uh not Mosasaur, uh Megalodon teeth, they would find them in like Native American, they'd find them in like on jewelry in ceremonial yeah. places because they thought it was basically some giant monster because they didn't know what it was and they'd find them. Mm-hmm. So then they'd be like, well, maybe this is some kind of relic, some kind of holy object. We need to worship it, protect it, use it. Work yep. like, I mean, I feel like there is definitely – some hidden stories that are of like prehistoric descent. Absolutely. Yeah. I think, I think those have existed for a long time. I think even a lot of the, the tales of, of native peoples in, you know, in different locations when they'd come across dinosaur bones or, you know, other fossil bones that were just enormous, they recognized them as a bone, but they had no idea about any animal that was that big. And so they'd label them. They'd come up with an idea of, oh, well, here's what this is from. It looks like maybe it's a a leg bone. So maybe there are giants roaming around the area. Maybe there are monsters. Maybe there are dragons, you know, and and they would come up with something to help them reconcile in their minds what these giant bones came from. I mean, like even in like Egypt, one of the most famous example of like, where their gods are like humanoid animals. Mm-hmm. A few of them, you're like, okay, that one's a hawk. That one's this. That one's that. There's one that has an alligator head. Right. You think about it. You're like, oh, well, I guess there are Nile crocodiles. What part of that could have also been a Spinosaurus skull? Right. Yeah, because they look very similar. Spinosaurus, I mean, it was found in that area. I mean, yeah. if somebody found that, they're going to be like, did we just come across a dead god? 
because I absolutely. And it was, you know, the the remains that Stromer found, he found in the Baharia Oasis, which is a huge necropolis now. It's it's a big burial ground where uh, they're currently excavating mummies. And so did they choose to bury those people there because they'd seen remains of Spinosaurus and they thought it was a god. And so they revered that area because there's really not a lot in that area. So why choose that to be a big burial ground? And maybe that's the reason. There, I mean, and even the Aztecs had Quetzalcoatl as the god. Right. And we know Quetzalcoatl is now the largest flying creature to basically exist ever so far so i mean you find this giant winged beast on the side of a mountain you're gonna be like what is that what what do we what do we do about this is this thing still alive yeah yeah i mean it's funny because like some cryptozoology the whole mythical creatures in the amazon and then it's just like a sauropod Mm mm-hmm and you're like, it's not really that weird. You find a big old sauropod femur in the middle of the Amazon, you're going to be like, are these things still alive? Yeah, Cause, absolutely. I mean, most people think that dinosaur bones are just like, all right, you got topsoil. They're way down here. They're all the way down. A lot of them aren't. Right. Like, a lot of them are eroding right out on the surface. and They're... they're some can be pretty far up there. I mean, yeah. I talked to some people in the Hell Creek Formation. One guy was like, yeah, the area I'm in, I mean, I find like two or three T-Rex teeth a day. And I'm like, that that seems like something that's pretty rare. And he's like, not where I'm at. I mean, they, you don't find whole ones, but you find parts of them and chunks of them. And it, it makes sense. I mean, there's definitely something there. Mm-hmm. I mean, especially in the Hell Creek Formation, if it was some kind of water source, I'm sure something like T-Rex would go there and they do shed their teeth. So that does happen and it could have got washed away and they could all be just clumped up in one area. Yeah. I mean, do you have any like eventful stories from when you went on digs or whenever you were reassembling something? Um, eventful stories. Well, I've got a lot of stories, <laughs> probably too many. So, and, and in fact, I even, uh, so I've written a couple of books about, you know, fossils and, and fossil adventures, but one of, one of the books I wrote was, uh, is named uh, head full of rocks because of some of the crazy things that happen when you're out there. Right. It, it you you can't even imagine some of just the wild things that happen when you're out fossil hunting and um you know when you're when you're digging fossils and and the people you're working with and you know it's it it's an interesting community it, it's a great community to be involved in most people in the the industry we're friends with each other you know we get along great we have great relationships but there are some real characters um and you know you get to know them i uh I do a little podcast of my own and I, I did a story the other day talking about, uh, you know, some uh, friends that I have and uh, they're, they're older, you know, I'm, I'm a, I'm still considered a young buck, I guess. And, (laughs) 
in the uh, in the industry, but uh, you know, one of them his uh, his uh, it's two brothers, and they dug up in Montana, and you know, dug a lot of dinosaurs, and and had some pretty incredible finds. But one of the brothers got sick, and he was dying. And uh, I, I, this is only sort of a fossil-related story, but you know, he says, "Hey, uh, well, you know, why don't you come up and and see us before my brother passes away?" You know, he had cancer and. He knew he wasn't going to make it. So I, I go up there and, and this is where the story starts to sound like it, it can't possibly be real, but it is. Uh, we go up there and, um, you know, we're, we're talking with Tom and he says, hey, I need you guys to make me a promise. You know, and Tom and Ed are the brother's names. And, and uh, you know, the one brother says, I, I need you to promise me that you'll take all my money and you'll bury it with me. I was like, what? That is the craziest thing. And his brother just nonchalant says, okay, yeah, it's not a problem. And I'm, you know, I'm going, what? You guys are crazy because I knew how much money they had. I mean, they had, they had a substantial amount, you know. And uh, the brother passed away. And sure enough, on the day of the funeral, his brother brings a shoebox. And uh, before they close the casket, walks over and puts the shoebox in the casket. And they, they close it. And I'm just going, this can't be real. This, this can't be happening. Uh, so I pull him aside after I'm like, did you really take all that money and put it in the shoebox and bury it with him? And he said, Hey, I keep my promises. He says, I went and pulled all of his money out of his uh, bank account. I put it in my bank account. I wrote out a check and put it in that shoebox and buried him with it. <laughs> so <laughs> in three, in 300 years, whoever digs him up is going to be like, that's your goal. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but yeah, I've had some crazy stories. Another one, we were back uh, Black River diving for Megalodon teeth. And uh, I don't know if you've ever done that, but they call it Black River diving because the water literally looks like you're diving in Pepsi. I mean, it's it's black. It's black. I've, I've seen some stuff. anything. And so the, the guys that I'm with, they're like, here, here's a rake. And, you know, it's a little rake about foot long. And they're like, you know what to do with this, right? And, you know, it was my first time doing that. I'm like, well, I assume you just kind of rake the bottom looking for teeth. And they're like, no, not at all. They said, this rake, as you're going along, you keep this rake out in front of your head like this. Because the alligators will lay on the bottom with their mouth open. And if you swim into that alligator mouth with your head, it's just going to close and you're going to be in trouble. So uh, you use this rake so the rake will go in their mouth. They'll bite the rake and then you're going to be safe. <laughs> you just let go of the rake. And it's, gonna do... um, it's like, I have a chance of dying. Uh, <laughs> Luckily, I, I didn't end up with my head in an alligator, so that was that was good. But uh, that would have been an interesting story. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I was a little scared, and and actually, I know a guy that did. Uh, it happened after this. Uh, he he ended up getting his head in an alligator's mouth, and he poked its eyes and stuff, but it tore him up pretty good. So <laughs> use a rake. <laughs> use, use a rake. I mean, I I live on the east coast and. We don't have a lot of big fossils like any of the dinosaurs, or we have a few megafauna, a little mm -hmm. bit, not a lot, but we mostly get shark teeth and things that 
wash up on shore and yeah. we find just in rivers and things like that. I mean, I, I found my first like shark tooth uh, last Friday, actually. <laughs> Think about that. Um, <laughs> it's this. Oh, that's a good one. Is that an Angus Titan? Yeah. That is a very good question. I made a post about it and everything about what it what it's called. Um, I'm, I, I think that's what it is. It looks like so uh, that will if it is, that's an ancestor of Megalodon. But uh, the way to tell is they actually had little cusps. They were still serrated, but they had little serrated cusps where Megalodon doesn't. And that one at the root almost looks like it probably had cusps. So. I mean, uh, one click. Yes, it is, and that is what my source has told me. Who does a lot of? Yeah, he basically made that his job. He goes out and he finds megalodon teeth and all that, and he actually invited me out to do that, and so I'm excited for that. So fun. I mean, it will be my first time actually going under the water and doing all that. I mean. It'll be in North Carolina, so hopefully you don't have a bunch of alligators, but you never know. You never know. We were in South Carolina, so, uh, you know, there's – there's Born and raised here. Born and yeah. raised there. So, <laughs> I mean, uh, maybe not the best trade-off, but I'll take it. Shark teeth are still pretty cool. but That'll be fun. I also wouldn't mind stumbling across a T-Rex – T-Rex tooth every now and then in the backyard. I mean, yeah, yeah, we'd all like that. I mean, that, that, that is the trade off. We don't get that, but we get shark teeth. We get big yeah. shark teeth. I mean, yeah. uh, another guy that I interviewed that I'm going to interview again. So, don't guys look out for that. That should be next Sunday. I got all these dates going on in my head. I'm just, um, <laughs> fossil crates. They, mm-hmm make molds of skulls and things and you go get it. One of the things I got from them was actually a megalodon tooth mold, which is still I mean, finding a real one is one thing, and that will be something that I will just like cherish, basically. But that's pretty that's pretty cool for right now. So, oh yeah, yeah. it's a mold directly of like a mo- uh, it's about to call it a mosasaur, but it's a megalodon. <laughs> megalodon, yeah, not not quite the same of a megalodon tooth that they had, and they made a mold of it, and they sell them and sell other molds, and I got the uh, smilodon fangs. Too, because nice. we actually have Smilodon. We had Smilodon here in South Carolina, which was really right. interesting. And the way I figured that out, which is really crazy. So South Carolina State Museum, I went and uh, just talked to the uh, natural life curator. Mm-hmm. And I need that dude to email me back. So I hope he's listening to this because this is like the third or fourth time I'm calling them out. Respond to my <laughs> emails. <laughs> but, but they talked about uh, a dig site that they had called Camelot up in like Greenville, I think, or 
up in the northern part of South Carolina. And it was coming down to the last few days. They weren't finding a lot enough to keep it around, just a few bone fragments. And they're like, you can't base anything off that. Yeah. But one of them basically struck it. They're like, yeah, we found like two Smilodon skulls there. And I was just like, and they bring me over to this little cubby, they open it, and they just pull out an entire like Smilodon skull. And I'm like, wow. Wow. I was like, wow. What? I mean, compared to dinosaurs, those things look tiny, but just compared to like a human, you're like, that thing would kill me. In fact, yeah. it did kill humans a lot. Absolutely. Those are, and that's that's like the holy grail of mammal fossils. <laughs> like, you know, we just found a smile on. I'm like, wow. They had like a few big, big deer, moose kind of thing that existed. The, the Smalsies? Uh, the stag yeah. moose, I should say. I think I want to say that. I, I, I have one of those in my kitchen, believe it or not. <laughs> you just got stuff all around your house, don't you? <laughs> Uh, life of a paleontologist this is how it's going to be. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> so I mean, exactly. that's probably what my house is going to end up looking like. Hey, there's in. nothing wrong with that. You can see I've got shelves all the way around this room. I've got stuff upstairs, downstairs, you name it. How it ends up being. I mean, I'm just starting my collection out, but it's already pretty much outgrown my room. We got like a long case for like skulls and things that have already filled up. I got like a little drawer thing that I filled up. All my shelves are pretty much filled up for right now, and I'm like, I mean, clean my uh, other like bookshelf out so I can put more stuff on it. Yeah. <laughs> it's I'm like, mm, I'm I'll just gonna to, keep collecting it too. I mean, I'll have to show you this guy that's sitting here. So, this is a saber tooth. This is actually a, a rare species called Pagonodon. This one's an oligocene. Um, and I decided to keep this one because um, what you can't tell really well, I'll, I'll take the skull off here so you can see it a little better. And um, even, even the couple shots of this lower jaw, um, it looks like just on first uh, inspection that, uh, you know, his teeth are broke, but its teeth are actually worn completely down. And these teeth on the sides are worn clear down where there's no enamel left on them. Huh. And the front teeth, all of the enamel has worn off and would have been up in the gums, meaning this was a really old animal. Uh, some of the lower teeth are actually even missing and the bone has started to regrow in the sockets. Uh, and, and that's the reason I kept this one is because I've, I've never really seen one like that. Most people like the, the pristine fossils where, you know, they've got the perfect teeth. And I do, I do have a couple of those too. I mean, this one tells a story. It's like this animal was so was old. I don't know how it survived. <laughs> There's got to be something to that. It could be, I mean, maybe that's evidence for pack hunting and that they actually care yeah. for elder, like the elderly members of their group. I mean, that's, that's my assumption is that it had help, you know, feeding because its teeth weren't sharp enough to actually bite into something. And, and with, you know, having those sabers completely worn down and, and rounded, they would have been completely useless. So uh, that, that one's kind of fun. Tells a story. <laughs> Mammals don't shed teeth like reptiles do. 
Right. Yep. When it comes to reptiles, they just continually replaced them. They had that same conveyor belt like uh, <laughs> thing sure. going on that, you know, we think of when we think of sharks. I mean, I like the only real skull that I have is of an alligator that my granddad shot. It, it was in their pond eating all their fish. And just like, all right, we got to get this thing out. That's cool. I, I remember showing this to one of my friends and they were like, how do you know it's real? And I'm like, oh, because I ripped the flesh and the brain out of it. <laughs> I, I cleaned it. I know it's real. <laughs> I also got a shattered turtle shell that I'm going to try to put together here soon. Because mm-hmm. I had this idea to put it together and then like put it in resin so it just kind of stays together. Oh, yeah. I mean, probably not the best for fossilized item, but it, it's a modern modern bone. It's pretty dense, pretty hard. So, yeah, I mean, it'll be interesting too. It'll be, you know, something awesome. people don't see. I mean, we got a lot of turtles around in North Carolina. So, having some like an actual turtle shell, they're, they're not. Easy to put together, but mm-hmm. with enough enough glue, I can figure it out. <laughs> yes. Enough glue, enough patience, and enough time. Yep, glue becomes my best friend. I actually, I, I go through so much. I even have my own brand now that I <laughs> I bring in by cases, and it's all labeled fossil shag glue because I gave them the specs and everything that I needed. <laughs> and <laughs> I go through. I don't even know dozens of gallons of super glue every year basically i can only imagine i mean <laughs> the only like i have very few real fossils most of them are actually uh so i got some right here because i've got like a lot of shells and thing things that i well, am i taking these out i mean i can just do this i got that um, this little box, and these are very few of the like actual real fossils that I have. It's a few like crystal quids, uh, anemonemite, anemonemite. Yeah, <laughs> I feel like Nemo saying sea anemone when I say that one. Yeah, <laughs> got a little trilobite in the corner, and I actually have a mosasaurus tooth that the tip broke. All right. Well, like I said, mosasaurs are my favorite. This, uh, I have one sitting right here. This is one that's uh, still got the root attached. Massive. That one actually did have the root attached. In. It was kind of like broken off a little bit. Cause, oh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, the root is, it's, we- it's weird because you think about it and you're like, well, the root's in the skull. So why isn't that preserved? That was something that I was like, I'm like, why don't you just find a bunch of rooted teeth? I mean, it's in the skull, so why wouldn't that be preserved? And it is because these reptiles shed their teeth. So most of the teeth that we do find of shark teeth and dinosaur teeth and marine reptile teeth, they're just shedded teeth that basically just fall to the seafloor and fossilize. So, I mean, and the... Oldest things, well, actually, the oldest things I have in my room are a trilobite, but 
But also, I have Spinosaurus teeth. Ah, yes. That have been authenticated. And, I mean, they're real. So, I've got, like, I think the letter of authenticity. Yeah. Yeah. The letter of authentication is just – I just keep it in the box. because Keep it with it. That's a good idea. I've got – Where else would I keep it? i got a – got a spino tooth here. I mean, Spinosaurus is a very interesting creature because it, it has is. changed so much and so drastically over – not necessarily a short period of time, but it's been – in the perspective of time, it's been like nothing, but in the perspective of that we've known about dinosaurs, it's been a fairly short period of time. Right. And, you know, I, I, I do a lot with Spinosaurus material. I get a lot of material from uh, Spinosaurus coming out of the Chemchem formation in uh, Morocco. And, and to me, in, in looking at the bones, I think there were probably three distinct species of Spinosaurids. I think we've got um, Spinosaurus aegypticus, which is, you know, the one Stromer found in the, and, uh, you know, got destroyed in the, the Berlin uh, Museum during World War II. And then I think that, that uh, in Morocco, there were at least two other species based on looking at the, the teeth and um, bone shape. I think we had the Siglamosaurus, which is, uh, it's definitely a Spinosaurid, but it's, it's vertebrae look very different than your traditional Spinosaurus. And then I think there's one that, you know, at some point, I think someone will will describe it and that'll be Spinosaurus, probably Moroccanus or, you know, something named after Morocco where it was found. And um, Of course, you have the Jurassic Park 3 depiction of the Spinosaurus yeah. where it walks on two legs, yeah. which has been debunked or whatever. But also the idea of that isn't outlandish. Right. And it had to come from somewhere. So there I, could very well be a species of Spinosaurus or Spinosaurus-like creature out there that was yeah. like that. And, and, then, and I think there probably was. Based on the material that, that I've seen, I've seen a lot of material over you know the last couple decades. And it, I believe that there probably was one that had longer rear legs than, than its front legs. And so it might have been bipedal. Uh, because I've seen some femurs that are absolutely enormous, but I've never seen any humeri or you know any front limb material that's even close to that size. So to me, that's that's an indication that maybe there was a bipedal Spinosaurus, but um, it, you know it, it's all just guessing, you know, guesswork. People uh, make you know they, fill they in have a lot their of theories, they describe it, they make their guesses, and and people either debunk it or um, find something that's true. Yeah. I mean, so, I mean, even with like T Rex, it has Tarbusaurus and Nanotyrannus, which is now actually being. I interviewed a guy and it called the Dinosaur Cowboy who. Um, yep. The Clayton. Yep. Yep. Uh, just lost my train of mind. Uh, he found the dueling dinos, and that's going to determine whether it was a true new species or if it really was juvenile t-rex even though everybody knows it's its own species basically now yeah but, and they're very i mean even with spinosaurus there's beckley spinax there's spinosaurus you even have other 
species in that family, like Suchiomimus and Baryonyx, that are right. similar to it. So, I mean, there's a lot of like leeway there. It's crossed there because Beclius Winax was, as far as I know, very terrestrial. Mm -hmm. And Spinosaurus, yeah. which is. And I mean, you know, that, that I think is one of the misconceptions too. I, I think Paul Sereno, he's a good scientist. He, he does a good job, but I think that, you know, there's a misconception about the Kim Kim formation itself, the Kim Kim formation where he described uh, the, the fully aquatic Spinosaurus and, and said that it, it predated mostly on, on fish and things. It, it's what's classified as a reworked formation meaning that, that those fossils were laid down, but then geologic events happened to just stir everything back up. And so you ended up with aquatic fossils mixed in with terrestrial fossils and, and everything kind of put together. And so it's really difficult to tell if those things were associated in life or not. Um, you have Kirkardontosaurus, which is a big, at one point they thought it was an allosaurid, but now it's, you know, it's been reclassified as, you know, its own genus. But um, they were huge, um, basically, uh, was, you know, tyrannosaur-like animals that probably weren't hunting in the water, and yet their teeth are found mixed in. You have five or six different species of raptors that were found there that maybe they hunted the shorelines, but probably not. And so all these things are mixed together, and it's really difficult to tell what belongs with what. And I mean... Even just looking at, like, I mean, there probably were aquatic dinosaurs. Like, yeah, actual aquatic certainly. dinosaurs. Yeah. I mean, there, Spinosaurus probably is the one that's most misconcept. And I definitely don't think that it was completely aquatic. Right. But there probably was. And I feel like, just based on the skull, it probably did hunt near water because it's got the sensors on the front, like a crocodile you know, and alligators. It's got the long snout. So it can actually just reach his head in the water without basically drowning itself. Yeah. And I mean, there's definitely something to that. That's definitely has a scientific claim, but it being completely aquatic doesn't really make sense to me. Right. And, and I think, you know, some of the evidence that gets overlooked is they say, well, it looks like a crocodile. Well, Actually, during the Cretaceous, there were terrestrial crocodiles that had nothing to do with the water. And, yeah. and crocodiliforms that, that date all the way even back to phytosaurs during the Triassic, that they evolved and to look very much like a crocodile, but they weren't aquatic. So it's, I mean, it's difficult to tell by body shape, you know, where something lived. And even crocodiles, they spend a lot of time out of water. Yeah. They're not in the water 100% of the time. And I mean, there's probably a lot of, I mean, if it's a battle for true survival, if it came down to it, I'm sure there are a lot of dinosaurs that if it found a small body of water with fish in it, it would try to catch a fish or two. Absolutely. Yep. I mean, like one of the biggest debates is if that I've heard and I find it a little bit goofy, but was T-Rex like a hunter or a scavenger? But scavenger, sure. Why not both? Yeah, absolutely. More like a bear. You know, bears will scavenge, but they'll hunt if it if the opportunity comes along. 
And they're one of the larger predators we have on Earth right now. So why not T-Rex? If it came into contact with a dead dinosaur or another dead dinosaur, and they're like, well, I haven't eaten in four days. I'm starving. Yeah. It's going to chow down. But it's going to eat it. If it's also like, well, there's a herd of this over there, and I need to, I haven't eaten, and I need to hunt. It's going to just go hunt. I mean, why why can't it be both? I mean, yeah, they're definitely extremists on both sides. Where it was, oh, yeah, it was only a scavenger. That doesn't really make sense because why did it have such a powerful bite force if it was only a scavenger? Right. Its jaws right. would have evolved to the tail, not right. Charm. And there's people that like. Oh, since its bite force was so powerful, it would only be a hunter. It's like, no, I mean, I'm not going to, it's not going to pass up a free meal for survival. Yeah. And, and maybe they were a lot like hyenas, you know, because hyenas have an incredible bite force. They have super robust teeth, robust skulls, but they, and they scavenge, absolutely, but they also hunt. Yeah. I mean, it, I mean, it makes sense. I mean, even birds of prey will eat the most famous example of like modern dinosaurs, they're scavengers and hunters. Yeah. They see a rabbit, whoosh, they see something dead and you go pick some off. I mean, yeah, it's survival. So I don't see why it has to be one or the other. Yeah, I agree. And I mean, uh, I, there's definitely a lot of knowledge about T-Rex out there. And that's probably why it's so famous. It, is probably one of the most researched dinosaurs. Oh, yeah. And that's definitely because of its fame. Mm, I mean, because yep. you get this giant famous beast, you're like, I want to know as much about it as possible. I mean, that's kind of how that works. I mean, yeah, there's no point in, I don't want to say no point, but you don't research the microorganism as much as you do the T-Rex because there's not as much to it. Right. And, and the fact that scientists want to research something that's cool. They're, they're just like the rest of us, right? They, I, I like cool things. I mean, I, you know, my, my specialty, I, I'm a Mosasaur guy, you know, I'm a Marine reptile guy and Mosasaurs for me are incredible, but it's because they're cool. You know, they, they're, big and bulky and have giant teeth and all these other cool things. And uh, T-Rex is the same. People want to research T-Rex and Allosaurus because they're cool. <laughs> I mean, teach their own. If somebody finds the weird microorganism cool, go study that. I mean, we need people to study that because we need to figure out how they work into the ecosystem. I mean, they are important to the ecosystem. Things feed on them and things feed on that. And it just keeps going out. So, Absolutely. But, you know, the, the thing that scientists need as part of their career is they need their name out there. They, when they publish, they need people to read it. And most people aren't going to read about prehistoric algae or plankton. They're, they're just not. But it makes the front page of every newspaper in the world when you're talking about T-Rex. Like... I mean, like, the whole feather debate, whether yeah. dinosaurs were feathered or not. I mean, that struck, like, wildfire. Because yeah. uh, in the beginning, they were, like, like, giant hulking lizards that bumble around with small brains. And now we know that some of them are rather intelligent. I mean, 
Yeah. And a lot of them had feathers. I mean, a vast, yeah. a vast majority of them did. A vast majority of them didn't. I mean, yeah, I think I think it's like mammals. We have mammals that you know have hair. We have mammals that have scales. We have mammals that um, don't have any hair. It's just basically leathery skin. We we have all kinds of crazy things. You've got your your marine mammals that basically it's uh, a thick skin you know your elephant you, you've got all these different variations and i think dinosaurs were the same and i mean you think about it a dinosaur in a cold environment like crylophosaurus or yeah. the, uh, i visited alaska and they had their t-rex there now nonquiasaurus or i think that's what it's called yeah. probably butchering that name um, <laughs> i mean they lived in cold. There were dinosaurs that lived in cold environments. So they definitely would have something to insulate themselves, to keep themselves warm whenever it got colder. Probably feathers. Yeah. But something like Allosaurus or even sauropods, where they have been basically proven to not have feathers because, I mean, it lives in a desert. It doesn't need that insulation. It's constantly warm and it needs basically more scale to regulate his body heat and it's definitely like an evolutionary thing it ev those creatures evolved to either have feathers or not yep yep and people ask what came first the chicken or the egg well, which one came first the reptile or the bird <laughs> i mean and that's something that's just like I feel doesn't really get because I feel like people are there. It either had feathers or it didn't. And it's like, why not? But yeah, exactly. I think, I think both are true. I mean, some creatures definitely did. Some didn't, some didn't have either at all. It had like slick skin probably. I mean, yeah. I mean, if, if there are like marine reptiles, like Spinosaurus, it probably didn't have feathers as much. I mean, right? Yeah, it lived in like Africa, so which has always been relatively warmer. And if it lived in water, I mean, it probably regulated itself like a crocodile through like the sun. I mean, yep. uh, the the comparisons to these modern animals and these ancient beasts goes even deeper than just how they look. Absolutely. I'm sure we can figure out behavior patterns, like even mating rituals, defense mm -hmm. mechanisms, all that kind of things based on modern creatures. Like, right. One of my, one of my, it's up there. It's pretty high up there. Like one of one of my kind of favorite-ish dinosaurs is Pachycephalosaurus. Mm -hmm. And, I mean, the closest thing that we have to it in modern day is like a ram. Right, yeah. So you can kind of look at both of those and see how they act and draw some comparisons there. Mm. I, I yep. do find that, find that very cool. I mean, and that's definitely drawing connections and we're slowly figuring out this ancient world and you know, yep. We're not even anywhere close to knowing every single species on Earth ever. So, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> there's been like what, like 
200 million species like ever yeah and we're only, we only know like one percent of them yeah like we're missing a lot yeah there's a lot of those missing and how many of them are permanently lost to time right because you know it, it takes an incredible act of nature to preserve something as a fossil so we could be missing 99.9 percent .9 of everything that ever lived on the earth and and have no fossil record of it i mean one thing that it's very obvious in comparison because they also existed at the same time pterosaurs versus sauropods pterosaurs mm -hmm. got hollow burn bones like a bird they probably broke easier because they were hollow like that and yeah. that doesn't preserve as well but right massive dense bones of a sauropod it's going to preserve pretty well like almost almost regardless of where it's at yeah exactly so it, it probably is easier to find a sauropod than a pterosaur mm -hmm. as long as you know what you're looking for but yeah. i mean Yep, you're right. And, you know, larger animals, it's it's a lot easier to find their remains. It just is. And it's because they're larger, so they have to be more dense, more packed with muscle to support their body. That muscle will take longer to erode, which means the bone stays intact longer. And, I mean, that's just part of nature. Yeah. And yep. Also, I think it's weird that, like, finding a full skeleton is very rare absolutely and i think it also has to do not what just with nature but like i guess technically it's still nature but like predators coming and eating the body i mean because mm -hmm. i was talking to the hell creek hooligans and they said they're like yeah triceratops skull it's not super common but it's a lot more common than triceratops feet yeah. And I was thinking, I'm like, that doesn't, that's weird. Like, well, it, even in the modern world, you know, uh, so the, the skull is the hardest part to find in any fossil. But if you look at, at nature now, if you're hiking in the mountains and you find a, a deer skeleton, 99% of the time the skull's gone. And it's because you have this big thing, we've got this big head hooked onto a little thing, hooked onto a big thing. Well, when you have a big thing hooked onto a little thing hooked onto a big thing, it's pretty easy for one of those big things to fall off and, and end up somewhere else or get drug away or, you know, any number of things. And I, I do feel like that, like, the skull, especially if something like a ceratopsian or even like something like Pachycephalosaurus, when a predator did come across it, the skull probably wasn't something that it messed with as much. Because your skull is so dense, like even like a human skull, which doesn't even compare to like a triceratops in like size or how much bone is there. So getting to something like the brain, it, it, the work versus like payoff isn't really there. Right. Especially when you have the giant body and the big old legs with all the muscle and things just basically lying not that far away. So things like the legs and the tail would be 
torn off, dragged away, eaten up. Bone fragments would be broken off probably. I mean, there's a numerous amount of things that could happen. I mean, yeah. It's a lot to it. And I think that's probably why the back plates of Ankylosaurids, the tanks of the dinosaur realm, are pretty well preserved. It's hard, dense bone. It's yeah. not worth eating. You got to flip it over, and everything in the bottom is basically gone. Yep. So you get these giant, just like flat things of just basically Ankylosaurus or Nodosaurus or whatever Ankylosaurus is there. I mean, and that pretty much remains. I mean, it's not worth eating. It's very dense. It's very hard. It preserves fairly well. I mean, so that's what remains. Yep, exactly. I mean, and I'm sure excavating those is still stressful. <laughs> yeah. Like one little slip up, whoosh, it's gone forever. Coffee grinds. And I'm sure that sucks because you're like, well, yeah. I move on now. Yep. As, as much as possible, you try to get everything back to the lab and then clean it off and <laughs> try to take it out still encased in the rock and you've got a lot better survival rates. <laughs> so I, I got to ask, what is the like, what is the rarest thing you've like found? Oh, wow. The rarest thing I have found. That's a good question. Um, I would say, and I don't, I, you know, I don't know that I, it's rare, but the items themselves are not rare, but two um, large turtles in our quarry that were literally on top of each other. Wow. Uh, they so, were both, you know, five foot plus turtles. And maybe were, not. It, 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 so turtles aren't rare, but to find them, to find them in that formation, in that formation yeah. stacked on each other was, um, was pretty rare. So pretty rare, pretty different. So, yeah. And I mean, I found, you know, some unusual, teeth uh i found a a um theropod tooth in a jacket when i was excavating a mosasaur uh and and so not sure how that theropod tooth ended in the bottom ended up in the bottom of the ocean uh, but it did and so i've kept that one it's it's from an undescribed species of of cretaceous theropod so that was pretty rare. I mean, it's not big and glamorous, but it's a tooth from some kind of carnivorous dinosaur that lived at the same time. So that was, you know, pretty unusual. Uh, we have found at our, our quarry the oldest known bat in the fossil record. We have found several new species of, of turtles. Um, I've excavated um, one of only two known three-toed horses which are the tiny uh, little horses that lived during the Eocene. Um, I excavated a project that's being worked on right now that we'll let you know when it's done. I can't really talk about it yet because it's kind of a top secret 
project. Um, but it's, it's very rare. It's one of only three and it's the only one of its species to, to come from this formation. So when it comes out, I'll, I'll let you know because, because I can't really talk too much about it, but it's going to be a really cool, um, piece and hopefully it'll end up in a, a good museum, a good home where it can be described. So, uh, yeah, we've, we've found a few, you know, oddball things. <laughs> you know, rare can definitely come down to multiple things, come down to like formation, just how many of it you found, basically location, things like that. Cause mm -hmm. you find like a full T-Rex skeleton at the bottom of an ancient ocean. You're going to be like, yeah. What's going on here? This isn't common. What's going on? How did that happen? Yeah. And have you seen prehistoric planet? Mm -hmm. Yep. I mean, they showed it. I mean, I'm sure there's definitely some science behind it. The T-Rex migrating between the islands. Mosasaurus was definitely a shallow water creature. So there's yeah. definitely a chance it ate a few T-Rex or Paris Rolfus or whatever was or whatever. Yeah. Crossing through the water there. I mean, it's like, I'm just going to eat whatever I can get my, my mouth around. So, yeah. And, and we know, you know, I know that uh, dinosaurs have been found in those formations in Kansas. Uh, they've found uh, dinosaur material and that was uh, the inland sea, you know, the, the Western interior seaway. And so we know those dinosaurs ended up in the water. And so it's entirely possible that uh, mosasaurs would have eaten them. Uh, and, and who knows what they ate that we haven't found. You know, they it could have been just about anything. Yes. And, you know, mosasaurs were, were pretty crazy because they could eat. Uh, in fact, I ought to spend a minute and talk about mosasaurs if you don't care. I don't mean, go ahead. They are my favorite. And, and, and I'll tell you it's why they're favorite. my favorite. Because they possess features in, in a combination that no other animals ever possessed. Um, so I've got, a, I actually have a little skull right here. Um, this one's from Kansas and this is a, a full little Mosasaur skull. This guy didn't really get any bigger than this. Classic is, uh, what it's called. Uh, this Mosasaur, um, if you notice here, their, their jaws aren't connected. So they've got a space between their jaws here. They've got a hinge here and they've got a hinge here. Meaning like um, modern snakes, they could open their mouths incredibly mm -hmm. wide. So that bottom jaw would flare out so that they could, could take in prey. And then in their skulls, I'm going to uh, see if I can take this off here. So they've, they've got their regular teeth here, but mosasaurs had a second set of teeth in their throats. These teeth weren't connected to the skull. These teeth were separate. Uh, you can see how far back they are. Those teeth would actually go forward independently to pull things in. So they could eat incredibly large prey and pull that prey down their throats with these, what we call pterygoid teeth. Um, some of the other really cool things about mosasaurs, they had fairly large eyes uh, in comparison to their skull, meaning they could probably see pretty well. Uh, and, and in those eyes, they had uh, bony plates called sclerotic rings, rings that, uh, you know, we see in lizards and reptiles today that would hold up to pressure. But they also had uh, what we call a parietal eye, which uh, on this guy, you'll notice a little circle right here. Um, I can barely see it. Right there. Barely visible. 
Yep. That, uh, that parietal eye is a third eye that Mosasaurs had. They're seeing uh, the future. Yeah, exactly. Some, some monitor lizards still possess those today, but that was a light sensing eye, meaning it could sit on the bottom of the ocean. And with that light sensing eye, it could see when either prey or predators swam overhead. So it could just lay there and wait when something swam overhead, then it could jettison upward. Uh, they had a couple of other really cool features. Uh, they had a Jacobson's organ. So you'll notice in the palate, there's these two holes. Snakes and monitor lizards have those today. When they stick their tongue out, they use that to taste the air. Mosasaurs used it to taste the water. So they could taste when prey was near. And then they have these um, pits that run the length of the snout. And these pits were used to uh, feel changes in pressure in the water. Kind of like sharks, they have a lateral line that runs the length of their body that enables them to feel the movements of prey. Mosasaurs could feel that as well. So they had all of these crazy adaptations stuffed into one package. And they and were that, really top predators. Yeah, exactly. I think they were probably the craziest and, and most evolved predator that, that the world's ever seen, just because they have a combination that, that no other animals ever had. And, and to me, that's why they're so fascinating. And, you know, this little guy, he probably was 12 to 14 feet long. He was just a little, a little guy, but, um, then you get guys with teeth like this that are, you know, definitely much bigger. bigger. Yeah. This guy, uh, that this tooth belonged to this skull was probably five feet long, maybe six feet long. Uh, and that entire animal would have been close to 60 feet which is that's, just absolutely enormous. I mean, that's like <laughs> megalodon length, so. Just... Absolutely, absolutely. So they they certainly would have been the top predators in uh, the Cretaceous Sea. I mean, so, with anyway. all the adaptations, they don't want to say unstoppable, but they could probably hunt down anything. And them being that big, there's not a lot that could take them on basically exactly. other mosasaurs, maybe, maybe some prehistoric whale, like hunting whale or a tooth whale. It's the correct term. Yeah. That's pretty much it. I mean, yeah, maybe they, some prehistoric sharks, maybe, maybe. Yeah. Cause and sharks barely came to be. And it was actually thanks to the, Mass extinction of uh, Dunkleosteus that yeah. would help them boost numbers, and they're pretty crazy too. Sharks are, yeah. Pretty, mm. yeah, sharks are definitely the top predators I would say on the planet right now with with the adaptations they have. I mean, it's so just bizarre to think about how long these creatures because you don't have like an actual thing to compare it to yeah like you can say like 100 or 65 or 23 million years and you're like 23 doesn't seem like a lot of numbers i mean doesn't seem that big i mean but then you're like million years you're like i don't really know how to compare that to something because there is really nothing to compare it to like yeah, exactly I mean, humans in present form, you know, depending on, on you know, which research and, and beliefs, maybe 
humans in modern form have been a hundred thousand years, you know, <laughs> I mean, we haven't really been around that long. Right. In the grand scheme of things. I mean, even things like T-Rex were around way longer than us. Yep. So, I mean, it it's definitely, they were definitely very successful creatures. And I feel like the mask extinction was not, not, I don't want to say the end of it, but it definitely was like a freak thing that was very one-off, very rare chance of happening. And that's just, they just got unlucky. Yeah. So, I mean, it's, I wouldn't say I would love to observe them in the wild, but also <laughs> if, if that were true, we wouldn't, humans wouldn't be around. Yeah, exactly. We we wouldn't be here. <laughs> so we definitely would not be here. Maybe reptile people, but yeah. <laughs> <laughs> maybe maybe they would eventually evolve into that, but who knows? I mean Yeah. I mean, paleontology is that's kind of the charm to it. And because it's unknown, you don't. There is no definitive answer. I mean, right? It would be a hundred different things, and you don't know. I mean, and mo very few sciences are like that. You're like astrology. Oh, the stars are not fairly permanent, but you can find a pattern with them. And you, can, mm -hmm. you can find patterns in paleontology, but it's still. Not a definitive pattern of this is how it is. Right. It's, it's it's much harder to test a hypothesis in paleontology because these animals are exactly. gone and their remains are very scarce. Yeah, I mean kind of makes me wonder how they tested things like how Pachycephalosaurus smashed their head together. They just somebody sitting there just banging two Pachycephalosaurus skulls together because that doesn't seem too smart. Seems no. like you just break them. It's like okay, maybe maybe we shouldn't do that. So, I mean, that does ask the question. So, I mean, why dinosaurs? I mean, why is the study so famous, so big, so popular? And it is basically that first for me it's basically that first step in science to where it introduces a lot of whys or hows which are a mm -hmm. lot deeper questions than what what yeah. was t-rex or oh, was a large theropod dinosaur you don't get a lot of that but like why was t-rex why are t-rex fossils found in america and North America, not in the southern parts of like Africa or in the middle of Asia. Or how did the T Rex migrate? How did it breed? How did it fight? How did it defend itself? How did it do this, 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 and this? And it definitely asks deeper questions without a definitive answer. Yeah. To make you think, and you're just putting together a huge puzzle to try to. Open, figure out that I mean, what's going on. 
Yep. <laughs> Just. And it's also, I mean, the, these big creatures are very interesting and they look like something a four-year-old would make up in their weird sketches out on paper. Just, and you're like, oh, well, this is a crazy monster. And it's like, that thing's real. Yeah, exactly. They They look like they should be something that shouldn't have existed and yet they did. And now we're trying to figure out why and how and you know, just all the details. It's, it's, it's one of those incredible, uh, I guess you'd almost call it a game that we get to play because, you know, it really is a guessing game. We're, we're making guesses. We're finding things. The things that we're finding are cool. And, you know, that holds the public's interest. And, and I think dinosaurs will always be in the public interest because they're just incredible. I mean, I've, I've, taken a huge loving to him. I've kind of always had a soft spot for him. So, I mean, and for yeah. me, it it's a pretty goofy reason, but I watched Jurassic Park and I feel like a lot of people did that. <laughs> yep. And it's just how it works. I mean, that, that was, that brought the first put dinosaurs in the spotlight, brought them to pop culture was really good. Famous movie still holds up today. Even if the dinosaurs aren't accurate, they were accurate for the time. Yeah. Other than Velociraptor, but Utah Raptor. Yeah, exactly. After. We don't have to talk about that, but I mean, it brought that into the light. So then people were had this fascination over dinosaurs. I mean, yeah. yeah. Yep. And it's, I mean, it's never really gone away. And I mean, even before that, there, there was clearly a huge fascination with dinosaurs, which is why we had events like the Bone Wars. Yeah. Yep. I mean, I mean Cope and Marsh, they both held the public's attention for decades, you know, with everything they were publishing and writing. People wanted to read about it. They wanted to see the discoveries. And that was in the time where, you know, we didn't have the Internet. You had a newspaper and the newspaper was weeks behind and it was hand sketches. and. <laughs> I mean, this hand sketch of some bizarre creature, you're like, what's, what's going on? What is going on in this newspaper? You check it out and you're like, Edward Cope di discovered this new blah, 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 blah. You're like, what in the world? I need to go figure out what this thing is and go yeah. to wherever Cope is putting this thing on display. And you're like, whoa, what is this thing? And he's just like, this is Iguanodon. And just, you're like, like, well, this thing can't be real. It's not real. And you're like, yeah, these are real bones. And you're like, it, I mean, you never really get over, like, you look at them in pictures, that's one thing, but you go to, like, an actual museum, and you see their bones towering over you, it is a 100% different experience. Absolutely. And it's hard to kind of comprehend the sheer size of these things. I mean, I still don't really comprehend the size of sauropods about how the absolutely massive they are. I mean, right. I mean, they're okay. giants. I, I'll rotate over to this giant leg bone. I've got sitting over here in the corner. <laughs> things like the size of you, isn't it? Yeah, it is. It's about six feet tall. And that's like, that's like one leg bone. It had like, 
I mean, one of my first experiences ever seeing like a really large dinosaur was like that T-Rex fossil. I think we have some T-Rex in, we have something in the state museum. I don't remember off the top of my head, but you're like, you're like, oh, I see a T-Rex next to a person on TV. And you're like, well, the camera's close to the person. The person looks slightly larger. T-Rex is in the background, blah, 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 blah. All this movie stuff to make it look different, and, and and I hold my hand like this. This one looks, this one looks large. This one looks massive. I mean, yeah, exactly. So you don't really have that correct person, but you walk up to it yourself, and you're like, "All right, I want to look at its head." Okay, gotta keep going up. All right, there it is. You're like, these things roam the earth, and it almost feels unreal, unnatural. It's like. You're just like, I don't, it's something that you can't really express with words. You're just like, you feel like a kid in a candy shop. Yeah, exactly. My family is not as into dinosaurs as I am, but even when they go and see Pachyrhinus skull encased in, in a giant case in Alaska, and you're like, it, it's all striking. It's taking the breath out of you just like i don't know how to say i don't know what to say i don't know how to react to this what am like wow just just wow i mean yeah and that's part of why i want to do it why i want to do paleontology because i'm like i want to find these things i want to have that wow moment every time i take a dinosaur out of the ground i'm like even just like a giant tooth just like I mean, like, I found, like, a shark tooth washed up on a beach, and I was just like, wow. Just, just yeah. fascinating that this is just, like, a thing that exists. And you can root it to what it looked like, what its ancestors were, what it evolved into, what that eventually turned into, what that came from. And, and you can see kind of the line of, evolution to where they got to where they were i mean it wasn't just like now nah, there's dinosaurs right yep. i mean it wasn't fish to land dinosaurs i mean there's a bunch of stuff in between it and even humans i mean you can trace it back to like lystrosaurus and it's like you see this weird little reptile thing where its arms are like this and you're like not related to a human yeah. like that's <laughs> one of the oldest traced ancestors to humans and it's like uh, huh yeah it's, it's like the thing doesn't even look like a mammal and yet it's basically one of the earliest proto mammals and it's like yeah what? it's just so bizarre i mean even before the dinosaurs those creatures were even like you get these new creatures, like life is experimenting, and you get this weird tube thing with spikes coming out of it, and you're like, What the, what is this thing? And they're like, Oh yeah, that thing lived on the ocean floor, and you're like, What what, what did it do? <laughs> How did this thing move? I mean, that's a part of it, and that's why they're so awe striking and basically just 
a complete mystery because you don't know everything about it. Because yeah. I mean, your neighbor, you can like just kind of like stalk him for a week, and you'll figure out all you need to know about him. But you can't do that with a dinosaur, right? I mean, a snake, you're just like, all right, I'll follow it. 50 yards away at all times and just see how it reacts and how it lives. And that'll be that, but you can't do that with a T-Rex. Yeah. They're not around. They're not there. I mean, and there aren't really any species like it. Right. We have to come up with completely creative and unique ways to, to try to study them because there's no way to actually study the organism itself. All we have are, a few remains and that's a lot harder. Yeah. I mean, there's not, we got like a lot of fossil remains, but there isn't, that doesn't mean that we have a lot to go off of. Yeah. It's just like one massive puzzle and you're missing a few, few million pieces. Yeah. You're <laughs> just like, all right, I think I'm yeah. uh, done with this corner. And you're, you look down, it's yeah. two pieces. You're like, oh, oh, God. <laughs> it's like that same analogy up at our, our fossil quarry, you know, talking about what we know about the, the formation. It's like you take a thousand piece puzzle box, you grab a handful of pieces out, put them on the table, throw the box and the rest of the pieces away, and then try to figure out what the puzzle is. <laughs> I mean, yeah. And they're all the same color. Yeah. You know, those puzzles. They're all every piece is orange because it's an autumn puzzle. And you're like, I don't know what I'm doing. No. It's I mean it, there's no other way to describe it other than just using the word dinosaur. No. It speaks for itself. And it's just amazing to think about. Even in that, you can break it down into levels, into deeper parts in the levels. You, you're like, oh, you got the Mesozoic area, era, which the dinosaurs existed in. And then in that, you have things like the Cretaceous, the Jurassic, the Triassic. And then you can break the Triassic down into the early, middle, and late. And in the early, you're like the Induin and the Olakian. It's like, and then from there, you're like, oh, well, this species existed here. And then you can break that, that species down into more genuses. And it just keeps going all the way down to basically the individual fossil that you found. Yeah. And it's just something bizarre that's difficult to like wrap your head around. I mean, so, I mean, I, it's just something I'm interested in. I love doing, and I love talking to people who basically live what I want to do. And well, and I'm I'm glad you invited me on to to talk. Doesn't about hurt it. to have connections. So. I mean, and you have a fossil quarry, and it's like well, you can discover what was here at this time. I mean. So, I mean, I guess a good question is, what do you most commonly find? We find thousands and thousands of fossil fish, believe it or not, in our quarry, because uh, the majority of our quarry, it was a, an ancient lake bed. And so 
you know, we find a lot of aquatic organisms, fish, turtles, um, you know, those kind of things, stingrays. Um, but then occasionally we found, we find uh, the other organisms that somehow ended up in the lake, you know, they, they fell in or were washed in. And um, that, that's when we get really excited because that gives us even a bigger picture of what happened during that time period. I mean, that's, that's the other part. It's like, now you have the individual, where did it live? Yeah. On top of that, how did it die to affect it? Because if we suddenly start finding Allosaurus hunting Triceratops, you're going to be like, whoa, wait a minute. Yeah. What's going on here? Was there a point? Was this like some weird secluded thing that something info? It's like, there's a lot missing here. And even the way they kill, I mean, T-Rex didn't kill like Ceratosaurus or Dilophosaurus or Allosaurus. And Allosaurus didn't kill like Spinosaurus or. Right. They were all different, unique. And so, I mean, do you have any fossils you'd like to show off and talk about other than Mosasaurus and. Oh, I have a lot of fossils that I like to show off and talk about. I have a whole, you know, room full, but. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, I think some of my other favorites are uh, Pleistocene, you know, the Ice Age. Uh, I have a thing for cave bears. Uh, I have uh, one in your basement. Material from Romania that uh, came out, you know, several decades ago. So. <laughs> That's always fun, but yeah, you can kind of see, this is just one small little um, piece of, of uh, you know, my collection, but uh, a lot of the other things, if, you know, people are interested in seeing it, if they, they check out Instagram, I, I like to post a lot of the things that we're working on in the shop, which, you know, this, this was a better location to do the interview than uh, down at our shop, but um you know, right now we're working on several big projects. We have an elasmosaur, which is, you know, people recognize it as a Loch Ness monster type of animal. And, um, you know, we've got a, a couple of full mosasaurs we're working on, some um, triceratops material. So, you know, a little bit of everything. So people can kind of get an eye of uh, what we're lo- what we're working on if they, you know, check out uh, Fossil Shack on Instagram and uh, that would give them an idea of some of the other pieces. I also post some of my personal collection on there and um, I collect artifacts as well as, um, you know, fossils because I, if it's old, I like it. So. <laughs> I mean, yeah, I mean, and there it is for you guys. Again, please go check him out on Instagram. He does have a lot of amazing content and it's not, just animals and things you got insects and old relics even pots and you got a pistol and some swords i saw yeah the cave bear in the basement like you said yeah that is cave bear in our basement yeah i mean there's stuff everywhere that's not just non-human i mean even the humans had their own effect on these animals i mean yeah Absolutely, leading leading cause of death for a lot of a lot of creatures that megafauna age. I mean, yep. 
We don't we, know when to stop hunting, and that is a problem. Yeah, we hunted the megafauna then. We still hunt it now. <laughs> I mean, I'm sure you're a busy man. You got stuff to do, so. I well, I, I appreciate you having me on. It's It's been a lot of fun to talk with you. It's been a lot of fun to have you on the show. I mean, it's always an honor to have like an actual paleontologist or somebody basically living what I want to do, just come and talk. I mean, it's just amazing. I mean, I love hearing about it. Well, thanks. And I'm happy to, to come back anytime and talk about anything else you want to talk about. So I mean, it's been a pleasure. It's always fun to have anybody who wants to talk about dinosaurs on the show. I mean, and for anybody who's listening and you want to come on and talk about dinosaurs, just hit me up. I mean, I, that's all it takes. I mean, I always love talking about dinosaurs. I always want to put that out there. So, I mean, it's why I do what I do. So, I mean, I guess I'll let you go and you have a great rest of your day. So, yeah, thank you. You too. It's good you, talking man. with you. Good talking with you too. So that was Seth from uh, the Fossil Shack. So please go check out his Instagram. That's his Instagram right there. I mean, amazing man, amazing content. So please, I'm begging you all, go check out his podcast, his website, his uh, Instagram, any other uh, social media that he has. Probably has a TikTok too. I mean, so please go check out their content. So, and also while you're down there in Instagram, please go check out the prehistoric life podcast, Instagram page. That's where I post all of the stuff about interviews and other exclusive content that I can't really post on YouTube or things like that. So please go check that out. And I mean, from there, you can also on top of that, go to the website which is basically the hub for everything. Uh, from there, you can get to the uh, basically every episode. From there, you can get to the YouTube, the Instagram. You can see every episode that we've uploaded. have the other uh, interviews, some individual dinosaur episodes. So please go check that out because that's basically where everything's at. Um and from there, you should be able to just click on these and they'll send you to the YouTube. And here, we'll send you to the Instagram. So please go check that out. Like and subscribe. And everybody have a great rest of your day, morning, afternoon, night, whatever time you're watching this. So I'm your host, Eric Crawford, signing off. Remember, keep it prehistoric.